If you were uh, alive during the 1950s, you may have heard it said that it was an amazing time to be alive. The 1950s really were amazing. It was the, uh, the narrow window in which baby boomers were born. 70 million baby boomers were born within a short period of time. Uh, America was on the, on the rise, having come out of uh, World War II, and, and economically and, and physically, uh, the nation was, was really taking off. It was the birth of rock and roll, of Elvis and Fats Domino and, and, and Bobby, uh, what's his name, Bobby? No, 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 Bobby, no, 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 Buddy Holly, I was thinking of Buddy Holly. Anyway, have you ever heard of Buddy, Buddy Holly? Yeah, he was really great. But anyway, it was, it was the, the era of the hula hoop and, and uh, metal skates. And, and uh, Duncan wasn't donuts at the time. Duncan was yo-yos. And it was a really great time to be alive, especially if you were living in Brooklyn, as I was. And uh, the pride of Brooklyn was the Brooklyn Dodgers. And hearts were broken when the Brooklyn Dodgers moved to L.A. But the Brooklyn Dodgers, I mean, it was our pride. Whenever they played the Yankees in the World Series, I mean, there, there was nothing more exciting than the Yankees and the, and the Dodgers battling for the world championship. And on the block where I used to live in Brooklyn, they used to uh, take the, the image, the, the, uh, the actual uh, uniform of uh, Casey Stengel. And he was the manager of the Yankees, and they would, they would, they would literally uh, string him up on a light post. And uh, in, that, in that light post, listen, he, he would be there for the entire week. She's probably a Yankee fan. All right. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the whole week long during the series, right, Casey Stengel would hang up on this, on this pole. But at the end of the series, it, whether we won or whether we lost, Casey was set on fire. I mean, we, we, burned, we burned him. And listen, you, you might think that that was over the top, and it was, right? But, but we had a passion for Brooklyn. And uh, we, we, we played stickball in the streets. And, and one of the ways that you could tell that you were a good player was by how many sewers you can hit. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? All right. We, we, we borrow the sticks from our mother's broom closet. And we, and we just play. we, we, we played, we played on, on softball on concrete surfa- uh, surfaces. And we slid headfirst into bases, which is one of the probably reasons why we had issues in the 60s, you know. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it, was, it was a great time to be alive. Uh, but let, let me tell you, th- th- there was one thing about the 50s that wasn't good or it wasn't, you know, in fact, let me just back up a minute and say this, that to commemorate to, or to capture the magic of the 50s, you know that in the 70s and the 80s, they had TV shows about the 50s. One of them was appropriately named, what? Happy Days, right. And... Uh, they really were happy days, but, but what was not happy about the 50s living in Brooklyn, especially if you were from an Italian family, was when one of the members of your family died. Then it was epic horror, you know? Uh, you know, d- d- death is a difficult subject to deal with, but, but back in the day, listen, funerals somehow, I mean, they weren't like one or two days the way they, they are today. Wakes, they call them wakes, they lasted a whole week long. And, uh, you know, open casket and everything. And even if you were a little kid, you were expected to, to kiss Grandma Nanina goodbye. And Grandma Nanina was scary when she was alive. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you. you know? I mean, they, they, had, they had smelling salts out on the tables because people were constantly 
fainting. Uh, I, had a, I had an Aunt Rosie who, who literally climbed into the casket with her mother and said, Mom, I'm coming with you. She was crying, Mom, I'm coming with you. And my wife's family was even worse. At the cemetery, a couple of her cousins jumped into the casket while it was being lowered into the ground. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why cemeteries don't do that anymore. They wait till the family to leave. But but it was it was it was really horrific back in the day. Uh, I had a, an aunt by the name of Gracie. She was married to my uncle John. My uncle John he reminded me of like an Italian uh, Clark Gable. He had his pencil thin mustache, wore sunglasses all the time. He always dressed really sharp, you know. And uh, had a diamond pinky ring. He he was actually a delegate for the Bricklayers Association down in Brooklyn, and uh, they were in love, but they didn't have any children. And maybe that's one of the reasons why they were so gracious to their grandkids. But I mean, not, not grandkids; their their ne- nephews and nieces. You know, they were really very loving. Uh, but one day, John went out to work, and he didn't come back. He had a massive heart attack, and that's when Aunt Grace slipped into this really dark place. She, she, she was more than depressed. She was, she was literally catatonic. She, she had this stare on her face that was really scary. Uh, she didn't speak. I mean, uh, she, 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 she was in a dark place, even darker than the, the black clothes that she wore as a sign of her mourning. And she did that for a couple of decades. You see, some people don't handle death very well. If you're a believer or if you're not a believer, here's the fact that all of us have to deal with this issue of death, the severing of lifelong relationships, you know, the, the loss of a, of a spouse or the loss of a, of a parent or, or the loss of a brother or a sister. You know, death is this cruel tyrant that has reigned over every human family since the fall of man. We all experience it. We, we, we all have have experienced the, the grief, the sorrow, the pain, and, and, and that's really what, what death brings. It's, a, it's an intruder that has come into our lives. It's, it's the unwelcome house guest that nobody could say no to. And that's what death is. And we're going to talk about this morning one little family that was experiencing sickness and, and ultimately death and how they particularly dealt with it. But if you're a believer... I want you to know that there is a vastly different way in which you deal with this whole subject of death. Because in Christ, we have hope. Let me just give you a contrast. There is a scientist. He passed away. His name is Carl Sagan. I've got a photo of him. Just want to let you know that that photo is, is, is manipulated because he's really not that big. Uh, but Carl Sagan, if you might remember him, he, he is a, a, a famous atheist. Uh, he's a scientist, that, an astronomer. Uh, he produced the best-selling book called The Cosmos. I love that series. It used to be on public TV. Maybe some of you uh, experienced that series in, in, in school, in science class. Just phenomenal about the universe. But he was an atheist. And uh, his, uh, his, his wife shared that he was... He was true to his belief to the very end, and he knew that when, when he was dying, that when he said goodbye, that it was forever, that it was for eternity. I, I just got to say, that is such a tragic, tragic point of view. That is such a, a hopeless belief that 
that you don't believe in anything. You, you believe that life does not continue. I want you to contrast that for a minute with, with a blog that I came across not too long ago. In fact, I shared it at a funeral a few, a few weeks ago. It was a father of four young children who was talking about his, his wife's battle with cancer. And what he basically said was this. He said, he said, I know that some people will say that my wife lost her battle with cancer, but I will disagree. She didn't lose her battle with cancer. Cancer lost the battle with my wife. Because for a believer, when the believer dies, the cancer dies, it cannot live. But my wife is very much alive. The greater victory, he writes, is to live eternally with Jesus Christ. That is the great victory. And it's because of faith in Christ and because of the hope that we have in Jesus, we can face death without fear. We can face death with the hope of knowing that, well, death becomes literally the servant of the believer. I I like what John Piper has written about death in a very simple, you know, illustration. He said, death is like my car. It takes me where I want to go. Because to be absent from this body is to literally be present with the Lord. So I want to talk to you today about about a little family that was experiencing this kind of pressure and, and sorrow and grief. You know, I want you to think about it. That fellow called Sagan, he was, uh, he was enamored with, with the universe. He, 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 he was in wonder of the, the galaxies and the billions of stars and, and, and all of the facts about the universe, but he was blind to the fact that God had created the universe. In fact, Paul the Apostle says that from the beginning of creation, man is without excuse because God's invisible nature and attributes are clearly seen by what is made. I mean, even, even people who are physically blind understand that this world, this universe, was brought into existence by someone by divine design, by, by someone who has, has brought about this amazing place called the universe. So I want you to think about this with me this morning as we consider the hope that we have in Christ. I want to look at John chapter 11 this morning with you. I've titled the message Love Delayed, and as we get into the story, you'll be able to see why I've titled it Love Delayed. It is John's purpose to write about Jesus as the divine Son of God who has come, the, the Word that was with God, the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. And, and, and John records seven different signs. He, the, they're miracles, but John refers to them as signs because they were, they were like a sign pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And each of these signs were, were a demonstration of his power. But this, what, this last seventh sign was the greatest of all revelations of who Jesus Christ is. So we begin in John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word, a message to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. I I love that appeal to Jesus. They didn't say, 
Lord, the one who loves you is sick. No, he, they, he, they said the one whom you love is sick. So they're confident in the love that Christ has for this little family and in particular for Lazarus as well. Now, the gospel was written in Greek and there are different words that bring different meanings to, to various words. The word sick that is used here, the one whom you love is sick, means that Lazarus was sinking, that Lazarus was was slipping away because life was draining out of him. And so Jesus clearly understood what was going on here. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, and it's cryptic because the disciples didn't have a clue about what Jesus was saying. He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the son, God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and yet, yet, when he heard that Lazarus was slipping away, was sinking under death, he stayed where he was two more days. Love delayed. Verse 5 clearly tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but yet Jesus stayed two more days as Lazarus was slipping away. What I want you to know is that when love is delayed, it's delayed on purpose. How often Jesus did things that were totally unexpected. We talked in our community group the other night about all of the different ways in, in which Jesus thought outside the box. He acted outside the box. And, 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 and certainly they had an expectation that Jesus would help. I mean, doesn't the, the psalmist say that the Lord is an ever-present help in time of trouble? If he could not physically come back, they, they b believed and they knew that Jesus could heal at a distance. At least he could send the word and heal Lazarus whom he had loved. But instead, their expectation was disappointed because Jesus seemingly did nothing. And this cryptic response of Jesus was to look beyond the sickness and look beyond the dead to the ultimate triumph over debt that would soon be talked about everywhere in Jerusalem. When Jesus was doing was even more loving had he simply sent the word. Because when love is delayed, it doesn't mean that it's love denied. How deeply disappointed these sisters must have been when they realized he's not coming. He delayed his, 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 his coming and and. When love is delayed, it doesn't fit our definition of love, does it? We think the Lord doesn't love us. He's not responding to us. He's not answering us. But whenever Jesus does things in an unexpected way, it's always much better than we could ever ask for or even imagine. Now, the city of Bethany or the village of Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem. My goodness, you, you could see Jerusalem on the hill from the village of Bethany was only two miles away. And because of that, the enemies of Jesus, the religious leaders who had, who had desired to kill Jesus, were there. They were at that close proximity. And so some people believe that well, Jesus didn't want to go back to Bethany because he didn't want to fall into the hands of the enemy. And that was not the case at all. You know, when love is delayed, it becomes an additional trial. The trial that we have is one thing, but then when, when, when it seems like heaven is silent, it becomes, 
it becomes a trial to the point where, where, where we, we feel confused. We feel, you know, it's that headache that never goes away. It's that, that loss of appetite, that inability to be able to sleep at night. You could read about the entire story in John chapter 11. But this is the seventh sign that shows the absolute deity of the Son of God. That he is none other than God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is, what is so important for us to understand is that this final sign, this this final miracle that Jesus does is the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back in the sense that now the religious leaders had to do something about Jesus. They went from having wishful thoughts that we could get rid of him and that he would die to the point where they now conspired to literally crucify the Lord. Each of these signs were a demonstration of his supremacy, that he's come to destroy the works of the devil. What I want you to see in verse 11, Jesus says, come, let's go wake Lazarus out of sleep. And the disciples, again, they were clueless about what Jesus meant. They said, well, He must be doing better. He must be on the men if he's sleeping and he's resting. They didn't understand. And so in verse 14, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes so that you might believe. I'm glad that Lazarus died so that you might believe. In fact, when John starts out with the first miracle of Jesus, the wedding where he changes water into wine, it says, says, and this Jesus began to reveal his glory And his disciples began to believe upon him. This is the purpose that John writes these particular signs in the order in which they occurred. Because his intent is that we reading the gospel of John might become believers and become those that inherit eternal life. Love laid, delayed, love delayed rather, was was on purpose. And that was to bring out the horror of what death is really like this would be the fourth day that Lazarus would be entombed in the grave and four days in that climate his body began to decay his body began to deteriorate and to break down we, we've all seen those TV shows or uh, you know a, a, a police drama where they where they where they come across a, a corpse that's been dead for for several days and and, and the stench of the rotting corpse is, is sickening. And this is, this, this is what death looks like before the divine Son of God. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad that he was in the grave for four days because when they rolled that stone away, not only would the sense of smell really bring home the, the understanding that here was somebody who was way beyond just simply being revived. Here's a miracle of epic proportion, only equal to his own resurrection. Had Jesus been in the city of Bethany when Lazarus was sick, Lazarus would have not died. In fact, one of the sisters say that in a couple of verses that we're going to look at in a minute. Did you know this? I don't know if you know this, but you could search through the Gospels. No one ever died in the presence of Jesus. How could they? He was the prince of life. Not even at his own crucifixion, when the two thieves died along next to Jesus, they died after Jesus had dismissed his spirit. No one could die in his presence. And that's why Jesus waited. 
He waited so that it might be seen for the miracle that it is. The greatest revelation that we have of Jesus is that he's the resurrection and the life. That he doesn't simply have life. He is the life that we need. It's the mightiest of all the signs that reveal his absolute greatness. I love this story because this story is a reminder to us that no matter how bad things look like outwardly, that there's always hope. That even even in our, our, our greatest sorrows, they can become opportunities for God to be glorified. And our, our weeping only lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The greatest miracles are are about to take place when when all hope is lost. Heartbreak and and agony are all too common for every single one of us that have experienced someone in our life that that has passed away. The happy home in Bethany had become a morgue filled with weeping and with sorrow. But Jesus is the reason why we have hope. And John's gospel was written for this very purpose, that we would have eternal life eternal life. Think about it. It's not just the duration of time because everybody will live forever. It's the quality of the life that we will live forever. It's not just the opposite of death. It is the opposite of perishing eternally. And the very reason why Jesus came was that men would not perish but have everlasting life. Life is not just the opposite of death. It's the opposite of judgment. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not come into judgment, but has passed already from death unto life. That happens the moment we begin to put our trust in Christ. Eternal life is to be eternally secure. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. That is security. Donald Barnhouse used to be a pastor in a a Presbyterian church in uh, Philadelphia. His uh, wife uh, died suddenly and unexpectedly and and, uh, left him with two little girls to raise all by himself. And and how can I, he thought, how how can I help my little girls? How can I comfort them when, when I am struggling with the death of my wife? Itself, And they were driving in the car and they had come to a, a traffic light and stopped there. And it was a sunny day and the sun was streaming into the, in through the car. And, you know, the kind of day that you, you needed, you know, sunglasses because it was so bright. And suddenly a, this huge truck pulled alongside of them and, and completely blocked the light of the sun. And now that shadow overshadowed or the, the darkness overshadowed the car. And it was at that moment that he that he thought this, and he said, he said, girls, he said, would you rather be hit by a shadow or would you rather be hit by a truck? And one of the little girls says, oh, daddy, that's such a silly question. A shadow can't hurt you. I would rather, in her innocence, she said, I would rather be hit by a shadow than be hit by a truck. And he said, honey, he said, it's as if, it's as if mommy was hit by a shadow because Jesus stood between between mommy and the truck, between mommy and death. And Jesus absorbed the full weight of death by bearing death for us. There is no fear in death. As a result of that, he he said, he, he quoted Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. 
For the child of God, there is not or ever will be fear and death. It takes us where we want to go. Verse 32 says this, And Mary reached the place where Jesus was. And she saw him and she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's the truth. And Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come alongside with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. What was troubling Jesus at that moment? I believe it was a holy indignation. It was, it was a righteous hatred for what evil has has introduced into the world in this thing called death. What a mixture of both power and tenderness. His heart profoundly moved by their sorrow as he, as he sees the sisters weeping. Verse 34 says, Where have you laid him? They asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. One verse, two words, Jesus wept. It is the shortest verse in the Bible, and as a result of that, I believe that the translators did the, good, the, the right thing to give it a separate sentence unto itself. Those words, Jesus wept. If you think about it, the Son of God weeping at the graveside of a friend on the verge of his greatest sign and wonder, knowing that in a few minutes, Lazarus is going to come walking out of that grave. What in the world is happening? Why is he crying? Because he's entered into our sorrow. He's carried our pain and our sorrow upon himself. He, he is sympathetic and compassionate. And you know what? I got to tell you, Jesus Christ is the same as he was yesterday, as he is today, and, and he will be forever. And when, and when we weep, he weeps. And when we sorrow, he experiences, because he is the same, he enters into sympathetically with all of our pain and sorrow. Those tears demonstrate a profound empathy that he still has for every one of us that are going through trials and difficulties and and maybe even sorrow right now. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus said, or rather, then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some, critical, said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Not really caring. I think there was really a lot of sarcasm in that statement. Jesus, once more moved deeply, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. You know, Jesus could have mystified them all. He could have just waved his hand like this, and the stone would have rolled away. But that wasn't his style. That wasn't wasn't what he was about with this extra extraordinary demonstration. No, Jesus was always low-key, even in this greatest of all the miracles that he's about to perform. You see, love delayed reveals just how frail and powerless we are before death. But Jesus was neither frail nor powerless. No, No human voice could penetrate the grave, the depths of the grave. But Jesus was no ordinary man. He is the God man. And it was his voice that formed the cosmos in the first place. Verse 43 says, Jesus called in a loud voice. And the reason why he said it in a loud voice, had he whispered, the same effect would have taken place. But it was so that those who were witnessing could hear exactly what was going on. 
So Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. His voice penetrated the dark recesses of the grave and the dead man came out. Had Jesus not qualified that command by saying Lazarus, had he simply said come out, it would have been the first resurrection. Every grave of every person that has ever died would have been resurrected in that moment because of who he is. He's the one that calls Satan refused to believe. In the, in the wonder of the cosmos, he refused to believe in the creator of the cosmos. But here Jesus demonstrated a proof for any of us reading the gospel of John could say, and there were many eyewitnesses. Not only was this his greatest miracle, but it was his most public miracle. There were many that witnessed the raising of a dead man for days. And the stench was the proof of that. And he comes out, and he's bound by grave clothes. And he gives the orders. You know, they could have, again, he could, he could have just given the word, and the, and the grave clothes could have fallen from him. But he involved, he involved people with that miracle in the same way he did in the very first miracle of changing water into wine. He had the servants draw the water, and then he had the servants give the water to the governor of the, of the wedding so that they would see and that they would believe. Here we have the greatness of Jesus standing before us, the the creator of the cosmos, the author of life, the author of eternal life. Here's our takeaway this morning. It's simply this. For the one who believes in Jesus Christ, there is no fear of death. The shadow of death cannot hurt you. No shadow can hurt you if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Because you see, eternal life begins the moment you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because Jesus has conquered death, death has ceased to be the tyrant that it once was. Death has now become the servant of the believer. It takes us ultimately where we want to go. Because love delayed is not love denied. Love delayed is not love denied. In fact, nothing in life or death things present or things to come will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. I got to tell you something. For, for, for me as a preacher who've been, who's been preaching for 38 years now, one of the things has been my privilege to do is to see people who are spiritually dead in trespasses and in sins come to life in Christ because of the love of God and then help them be loosed from the things that once bound them. To be, to be released from the shackles of, of bondages, of, of addictions, of, of, of sinfulness. And to see their lives change and, and dramatically become more and more like Jesus over time. Changed and conformed to the image of God's Son. What a, what a privilege we have to be to be partners with God in the greatest miracle of all, the new birth. My my question to you this morning, for those of you who who are followers of Christ, this is just an encouragement to know that, listen, death can't touch you. 
The shadow of death can't harm you. And you know that, and it's a reminder of that. But if you're here this morning, i got to ask you this question. Do you have eternal life? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you say like that father of four, that even in the face of, of someone you love that has died, that they are more alive now than they were before because of their trust and confidence in Christ? I want to just challenge you this morning. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, and maybe something that I've said today, maybe the Holy Spirit's drawing you to come to him. Now's the time. Today, the Bible says it's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Open your heart and allow God to open your heart. And when he comes in, he will flood you. He will flood you with life and with change. And you will, listen, he, 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 he gives beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. He will make something beautiful out of your life. I guarantee it. You start that conversation by saying something like this, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Today, today, I will begin to believe upon you. And when you do that, the spark of eternal life begins to glow and burn in your heart. I guarantee it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the word of God and for the great revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that, that, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that all those that trust in him have already passed from death unto life, that there is now therefore no condemnation, to those that are in Christ Jesus. That if anyone will come to you, Jesus, you said, I will in no way cast out. What great joy and what great peace we can know right now in a life that, that is set free from the power of sin and death. The power of Christ living in us, living in me, living in you. That is what it's all about. That is the gospel. That Jesus Christ has vanquished death and he has ushered in life and immortality to light through the gospel. 